Welcome to the Living Alive Podcast. I'm Autumn Shields, a Master Connect coach, speaker, author, and serial entrepreneur, and most importantly, your hostess here to help you live your life alive. See, I believe we all have the ability to feel and be guided by life's nudges to live on purpose. So I'm inviting you to take this journey with me. Whether you were here just wanting to dip your toe in the water and see what this is all about, or maybe you were ready to dive deep, thank you for joining us on today's episode. On this show, you'll hear powerful life-changing stories from thought leaders of all walks of life that are stirring things up. We will guide you on living your life fully alive, how to identify the nudges, and why living a healthy lifestyle actually makes a difference. So get ready to be inspired, challenged, and connected because it's your time to make a splash. Have you experienced trauma in your past and you feel like it's holding you back from living your life fully alive? It's easy to feel lost when you don't understand why it's blocking you from moving forward. Well, on today's show, you're going to better understand yourself and what could be keeping you from reaching your full potential. Our guest today is an Iraq veteran who'd struggled with PTSD, anxiety, and depression. He also suffered abuse as a child. These experiences led him to years of research and educated himself to be able to overcome his conditions. And now he helps others do the same. I would like to welcome to our show, Anthony Treyas. Hello, Autumn. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. It is amazing how we can connect in this way. And I'm in Florida today and you are in Colombia. Where at in Colombia are you? Yes, I'm in Medellin, Colombia. So much fun to connect. Yes. As I learned about you and your story, um, not only are you a person that are living your life alive, but you're helping so many other men and people. I always believe rather we're talking about men or women that we learn from each other. And just because I'm a woman, I have to, you know, I have to engage with men. So it's always nice when people are still focused, like your focus is so much on helping men overcome what they have done in their lives to get to a better place and supporting that process. Most of your podcast, Strong Men, Empowerment to Thrive. And what I love that is that you focus on health, wealth, and purpose listening to your show and all the different tools that you provide men and just really that passion for helping other people. So first of all, um, for you just coming through what you've done in your own life from living, you know, traumatic child abuse in your childhood to coming home as a vet from Iraq and now getting to this place. First of all, I just, I know it takes a lot of work to get where you've done. So congratulations on that. And just thank you for being you and thank you for helping other people live their best life. Yes. Well, thank you very much for this opportunity. And, you know, it has been a a journey and uh, it's, you know, I just realized uh, not too long ago, 10 years ago, I was in Iraq and, you know, for me, that experience, you know, I can say it was probably, you know, one of the worst experience, but also one of the best things that had ever happened to me. And I'm sure we'll, we'll get further into that. Yeah. If you want to dive into that too, and then we can back up further, but tell us about Iraq, why it was the worst and the best for you as a young male. Yeah. Well, you know, when I, I had been, I was in the military two different points in my life. I went to the Marine Corps right out of high school. Um, just, I had actually graduated on my 18th birthday and, you know, 10 days after that, I was, uh, in, in Marine Corps boot camp for the summer of 94. And it, for me, it was, um, 
I knew from a very young age that I wanted to go to the military. I can't tell you exactly what it was, but I was just very attracted to it uh, for some reason. Uh, my, my father had served in Vietnam. My, great, uh, my grandfather had served in World War II, uh, an uncle in the Korean War, um, brother enlisted during the Desert Storm. I mean, I have a lot of, uh, and other um, uncles who had served in the military. And so, but I, I don't remember ever like them talking about it. You know, my father wasn't much into talking about that. And I never, um, by the time my, my grandfather had passed away, when I was in the eighth grade, uh, I never got around to getting, you know, to have that conversation about what his experiences were like. But for some reason, I had, I was very attracted to the military. And so, um, and then several years um, after I ended up uh, enlisting in the Oregon Army National Guard. Uh, and then three years after that, I ended up getting deployed uh, to Baghdad, Iraq, where uh, my job was to provide personal security for uh, our generals, uh, government officials, and um, and what we would call distinguished visitors, DBs. And I was even on a, on a mission for when the vice president um, at the time, Joe Biden, was uh, visiting Iraq. So it was a very secretive mission. It was, you know, we couldn't talk to our friends and family about it. Um, we had to have a secret clearance just to be on the mission. And it was... Um, it was very, a lot of stress. <laughs> you know, our, our mission was to not go and look for the enemy or our mission was to, to stay as far away from the enemy and, and to keep our generals uh, and the, and the decisions maker, decision makers at that time uh, safe and, and uh, get them where they needed to go and get them out of the country safe and sound. Awesome. Well, thank you for your service during that time. Yes. And so what was the worst part about Iraq for you and how was also, did it come out being one of the best? Well, I think, uh, I mean, the worst time is, you know, and anybody who's ever served in a combat zone, you understand, you, there's this realization that you come to in your life where you, um, any mission you go on, I remember this one time, and I'm not necessarily sure that this was like the worst thing that uh, happened, but this just like, it was what this experience led me to is just like, if all I had ever had wished for that, if something were going to happen to me, it would happen fast. <laughs> you know, it wouldn't happen. It would, I wouldn't be suffering. It would just be done and over with. And I remember we were picking up some distinguished visitors uh, near uh, this airport and part. And so oftentimes when we would pick up generals or um, distinguished visitors, we, they would have an entourage. They would have other staff with them. And on this particular mission, we would have uh, a lot of people that we would have to be in our vehicles. And so one of the, we, we termed this truck, the ice cream truck, and it looks, it looks almost like an ice cream truck. Um, it has a very secure box in the back. So it's, it's what I mean by secure, it's very uh, reinforced. And so um, not to say that it would take any kind of IED. Um, unfortunately, the front of the vehicle was your, your basic F-150 of, of uh, you know, your basic Ford F-150 uh, truck. And I just remember I was going to be sitting in the front <laughs> and, and anything that would hit um, us, the, the front would be gone. It, it would, it, I mean, it would just be total. And so I just remember that like this acceptance 
of like if there if anything happens because like I mentioned you know our, our my job was not to go and look for the enemy and you know kicking down doors or anything like that but it was to you know identify IEDs identify what the enemy was doing we'd get briefings on this and so it was just kind of that realization and I remember it was two months before coming back home and I'm in you know I'm still in Baghdad I'm, I'm a team leader I have three other soldiers um, that I'm responsible for that were on these missions. And I get an email from my then wife saying she wants a divorce when I get back home. And it had been, you know, it's two months and I'm thinking, you know, I still have a job to do. And, and, uh, and if anybody's ever gone through a divorce before, you know, that it's, uh, it's a very difficult thing. And, but I'm in the middle of Baghdad. I, I can't catch the next flight home. I can't, uh, you know, talk to too many people about it. I, you know, I, it's not like I can, you know, talk to my, um, my supervisors and say, Hey, you know, can I go home? I mean, they were in the middle of war and there's like, there's no, there's no sympathy for what's going back home because, you know, uh, for sure my, my situation probably wasn't the worst that has anybody ever gone through, but I had to keep all that emotions in. Um, but I, and as I mentioned, I still had a job to do. I wasn't home safe. Still had, you know, my family, my parents and siblings I wanted to get back home to, you know, and be. Yes. Be, I can't even back. imagine getting that news and being in a war zone and not being able to do anything about it. Yeah. So I couldn't like go and hang out with friends and, you know, let some emotions out and do, you know, that sort of thing. So I had to ball that up and, and take care of my, myself as best as I could uh, during that time. But for me, I, I knew that uh, my life was going to change when I got back home. And that's, that's exactly what happened. I ended up coming back home to uh, an empty house. And I just remember getting the, you know, our final formation and getting dismissed. Uh, you know, my uh, then wife kindly told me where she would, where her brother would be leaving my truck. And so as every, you know, you see a lot of movies of, of or, or images of these scenes where soldiers come home and their families are running to them and getting hugs and kisses and their signs for them there was none of that for me. <laughs> there was none of that. I basically said, you know, I was excited, you know, uh, just to be home. But at the same time, I knew things were going to be different. So I said, you know, good, goodbye to my soldiers. And I walked over to my duffel bag and my stains and, and uh, knew where my truck should be. And so I walked myself to my, or walked over to my truck and drove myself home. And I just remember, uh, Right before I were, were to drive into my garage, uh, I clicked the garage door opener so that it would roll up and I would just be able to just drive in. And I just remember doing that and getting out of my truck because I wanted to know, like, <laughs> I wanted to know, like, where, where, where were my things? I wanted to know if she was there. I wanted to know just like I knew she wasn't there, but I wanted to kind of see what, <laughs> you know, what, right? what I was coming home to. I mean, I laugh about it now, but. I jumped out of my truck as though it was on fire. My things, you know, I, I even left the door open and I run through my garage door and uh, there's a utility room. And then I go through the, uh, into the living room. I have my full uniform on and I'm, I'm going through every drawer. I'm going through every cupboard. I'm going through my pantry. I'm just to see if there's a plate left for me, you know, and I laugh about it now, but it was just, it was crazy. And I go open the refrigerator and then it was a two-story house and I'm running up the stairs with my boots on. And I, uh, I get to my, um, get, you know, look through my, looks pass through my, past, uh, my office, past my media room. And then I get into my, my bedroom and then into my, my bathroom and my closet and you know everything's there and then 
I just remember walking back to my bedroom and I just collapsed. I, I leaned up against my wall and, and I just sat there and it was quiet. And it was just like, of all my years of knowing about that, I'm, you know, I want to go to the military and seeing all these welcome home parties and seeing all these images. And there I am sitting there by myself, you know, I'm back from Iraq and that's it. You know, yeah, I'm and sure I, it was devastating, I, like full I, devastation. So it was tough. It was extremely tough. And then shortly after that, I began to, you know, what later was diagnosed as PTSD. I was, you know, waking up in the middle of the night, not knowing where I was at. Um, I hated going to, you know, going outside. Um, I hated going to grocery stores. Mm-hmm. I, I would just rush in and then rush out. And, and uh, I would... I would uh, just, like I said, wake up, not knowing where I was at. I was uh, very, um, little things would get me upset. Um, I was uh, in my, there'd be times where I was in my home and I, and I had a pretty decent sized home and I, I literally felt my home was crushing in on me and I literally would have to run outside my house because I felt like the house was caving in on me. I was just getting like this extreme claustrophobia and, uh, or claustrophobic feeling. And it was, um, it was just, uh, it, when I went driving, if there was a, um, any garbage on the side of the road or anything out of the ordinary, uh, my heart rate would start to, to, uh, increase. And it was just time and time. My body was so fatigued and I started just, um, dealing with um, just being very depressed because now I went from this, this the highlight of my military career of of um, protecting generals and being recognized for that, and now I was like, okay, I'm divorced. What am I going to do with my life? At this time, I'm now 34 years old, and before that, I didn't really have any career that I really enjoyed, and uh, I hadn't completed my education by this time, and so it was just kind of like. You know, what am I going to do? So I had to really redefine everything in my life. Find right. who I, had, I, I mean, you had identities person. that you just lost, like so many of your identities being of a husband and a soldier and all of a sudden it's just gone and yeah. in, in that moment. And I think when we're attached to identities and then all of a sudden that's gone and we're attached to families and then that's gone. And, you know, I wish your story was so, I wish it was rare, but what I find is that it's so typical for so many people to come back and, and it's not the movie role. It's not the highlight role whether we have family and celebration. So many people come back to broken families and loss and devastation at home, you know, walking into that mm-hmm. and, and having to deal with that having to deal with, you know, not only having a totally different identity and everybody you hung out with the day before is not who you're hanging out with the next day. <laughs> then you throw post-traumatic stress disorder in, you know, all, all of that, that, you know, we talk about it more, and, you know, obviously on your podcast and who you are now, you know, and obviously that your goal is to talk about different things more and to bring it up and provide people with tools. But even if we're talking about it so much more than ever, you know, the lack of support and people reaching out is still just astronomical because, you know, we don't, we just don't see it or we don't have patience for it. Or we don't tolerate it. And we don't talk about it. And so how did that come from being the worst to now the best? Well, you know, there were so, well, I think it came down to, you know, it's, 
it's almost, it's a little difficult to take myself because it's been, you know, uh, 10 years now. It's been 10 years. And uh, a lot of the things that I end up, you know, struggling with, you know, really goes back to, there was a foundation set back to when I was a child. And uh, that's kind of really where it began for me uh, because my father, he was a, a very abusive alcoholic and he would, um, he would spank my brother and I uh, ferociously. It wasn't like this, you know, hey, you know, slap on the bottom, you know, and type of deal thing. But my father, um, he would unleash on us if, and he was very critical of us very, uh, and these were during the most pivotal times. One of the things that I talk a lot about in my coaching and my, and, uh, the things that I work uh, with men is that we, when we're, when we're talking about self-help and personal development, rarely ever does the idea or the topic of the brain come up. It's very rare that, you know, this book will, you know, talk about how to, you know, reach your goals or how to move forward in life. And a lot of these things never bring up the brain. And fortunately for me, I'd been really interested in the brain for as long as I can remember. And after my deployment, you know, and my struggles, I began to, of course, you know, I, I did go to therapy and I began to, you know, work through a lot of different things. And one day, um, and it was my, my last, second of my last therapist um, uh, asked me, you know, and, and I had seen a therapist for like six, seven, six years by this time. And he ended up asking me like, what was your relationship with like your father? And how was your childhood? And, you know, my childhood was the worst. My father uh, would, I mean, I was going back to the brain, excuse me, going back to the brain during those first zero to three years of our life are the most pivotal years of brain development, really any time through our adolescence during that time. But those first three years, those first three years are so vital uh, for brain development. This is where, you know, caregivers have a really open or a window of really helping that child to explore the world and explore, you know, what kind of world he, he or she lives in. And for me, my whole world was all about, you know, the fear of my father and the fear of him just unleashing on us and what that does to the brain, right? A lot of times people, you know, are trying to figure out their childhood and they're trying to figure, you know, get through these difficult uh, things that they might have experienced. And we hardly ever talk about the brain, but what happens is... Um, and there's two things. One is that it does make a huge impact in your brain and the way you see the world and the way you react to the world. So if somebody has these traumatic uh, experiences and don't and doesn't do anything about it later on in life, your brain is still operating. That's why oftentimes these abuses continue on into the next generation is because that brain development is still in a heightened alert uh, status. And that's why a lot of times people who have childhood, traumatic childhood experiences suffer from uh, chronic diseases at a, such a younger age than we would normally see these types of chronic diseases, such as high blood pressure, um, migraine headaches. Uh, well, that migraine headaches is not a chronic disease, excuse me, but um, obesity, diabetes, these sorts of things. Um, 
And so what happens is when the, the brain is, it, it's meant to just keep, it's keep us alive. And the brain doesn't want to have to work any harder than it has to. And so when somebody has a traumatic brain experience, their brain is then rewired to react to threats. Right. So, but also what ends up happening is, and what happened to me is I end up um, having very low self-esteem. I was a very tiny kid. Um, I weighed 116 pounds when I graduated from high school, which means I weighed 116 pounds when I went to the United States Marine Corps, which they end up making me uh, what they call the D as in Delta D rat, which meant for double rations. So I got to eat double of what everyone, every other recruit was eating, you know, but I had, I had extremely low self-esteem, very little, if any self-esteem. And that resulted in me not caring about school, which ended up me not furthering my education after college and which ended up me not having um, great um, uh, job opportunities and just different things that I got married at a young age um, just so many different decisions that when I go back to it, you know, it, it ended up being a res- as a result of, of this experience that I had all through my adolescence, you know, through my father. I mean, I'll give you um, an idea. One time I was about to graduate f- with my master's degree in public health and I had an opportunity. Uh, my father came and visited me right before and I graduated um, shortly before I turned 40 years old. So my, I was 40 years old at the time and my father came to visit me right before I graduated and we were having a great, well, you know, like, what's your relationship with him? Like during this time, like from when you graduated high school to now you're 40. Yes. To visit you. So how, how is your relationship with him? Before yeah, that's time? a, that's a good question. So it was really off and on. There were times where, you know, it was good, you know, where two weeks wouldn't go by that one of us would call each other. And then there was times where, you know, something came up and then, you know, he, it was just really up and down. It was never this consistent, you know, great relationship. I mean, my father really put the fear of God in me uh, when uh, with him, when uh, growing up, it was always just a scary event when I was with my father and I'll give you, I'll give, I'll share a story with you real quick. Um, one time after my parents divorced, my brother and I went to go visit my father and he was in a studio apartment and uh, he was drunk. And one time my father made me put on this oversized poncho, this oversized wool poncho. It was oversized for me because I was a very small kid. It probably was, you know, just a regular size for an adult man. But he made me put this on and he made me start acting like I was Jesus. And he started made me made me start raising my hands and walk up and down his uh, studio apartment saying, praise God, praise God. And he would be yelling at me saying, say it louder, say it louder. You know, these were just and I felt so embarrassed. I felt so embarrassed. And I could just see the look on my brother's eyes. And, and he was my older brother. He's my older brother. And I could just see the fear in his eyes, but also I could almost sense like he's wondering, you know, is, is my, is our dad going to make me do that? And, you know, <laughs> just really scared. And I, I remember doing that. That's just like one, you know, kind of story of, of many, many other things of how uh, he would embarrass me. He would make me feel like the lowest piece of garbage on this planet. So when, now that I'm, you know, you know, and you grow up and you, you, you try to have this relationship and, 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 you know, this brings up a really good part because, um, a, a really good point, because recently I, I, uh, I started doing some research 
of why and and just just so you know right be, and also right before my deployment I was a foster parent for 3 years Wow. So I kind of uh, got to learn a lot about the foster system and the foster kids and, and these things. And I had maybe 12, 14 kids come through my house. I had one kid all through the three years, but I would do respite care for other foster, foster parents and other kids who need temporary housing and things like that. So um, I always wondered, you know, why is it that kids, no matter how abused they are, they want to return back to their parents? Yes. And what happens and what I've come to discover is that going back to the brain, this is where it's so fascinating. This is why I'm so fascinated with the brain. And this is why I, you know, with my clients and with what I share is all about the brain, because if you don't deal with the brain, you're going to continue to see the same things in your life. So what I come to discover is that when we are, um, you know, newborns, um, um, well, let me back this up for so far. Um, uh, to cover is that the, the research that they have done so far that I've been able to discover because you can't do research. You can't abuse a child and then check their brain and then do research on that. Right. So the only, the only research that or the research that has been done is on pup rats. Okay. So we get a lot of our information from, uh, from, you know, animals. And, and so with this in what they, um, in this situation, so what they discovered is that, when um, when a pup rat is introduced to like a foul smell or like a um, uh, an injury, almost comes like where they where like air is blown and it's kind of a, a little it's a traumatic event for a newborn. And so what happens is there's areas of our brain that are shut down to respond to that fear. So as we get older, and let's say we go and touch a hot stove, right? We'll, and we, we learn from that not to touch that. Well, that response is diminished when we're, ch- when we're newborns and for, the new, for, the, for the pup rats, what they discovered. And so even though they know it's a bad thing to go back to there, and, and let me back up. Sorry, I'm really interested in this topic. But, um, but what ends up happening is when they're new, when, as, even us as, as, as babies, um, we attach to our caregivers. We know her voice. We know how she smells. We know that that's the comfort, right? And when we're babies and we're like put into another situation, we'll start crying. And then once we're back with that person, it's our brains that are lighting up saying, oh, that's the smell I know. That's her voice. And I know. So we're comforted. Well, the same thing happens with with pup rats. And when they have that traumatic experience is that 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 ability to say, oh, no, that's bad. And I don't need to go there is diminished. And so, but we recognize the smell and the, and the, and the, um, uh, the, the comfort that we get from that care, from the caregiver. And so our brains are, are basically saying, Hey, go back to that, even though, you know, it's bad. And, but because it, because that our brains are meant to keep us alive. So we need that, uh, from our caregivers, whatever, it, um, you know, food and shelter, we need that to survive. But as we get older, we, we realize, okay, I touch a hot stove and, and, and I remember that, so I don't do that again. But that, that still yet, that experience, you still remember. So what happens is your fight or flight mode stays elevated higher than it should be. So if, if you don't mind, I'll share a quick example. So yes, sure. for our bodies, 
when we go through a, a stressful event, okay, our body is, our, our brains are designed to release chemicals to deal with that situation. So, but also what happens is when that, when the stress is eliminated, our bodies also respond to that and diminish the, the, the cortisol release of uh, the chemicals that are released into our bodies that allow us to deal with the stress. So what happens is those who have traumatic childhood experiences, those who have the, uh, these sorts of experiences, their fight or flight mode, their stress response stays elevated much longer than it should. Then if one, uh, once that stress response is relieved, so like, let's say, for example, you know, an adult who goes to a stressful job, comes home. Okay, now it's time to relax. I'm done with work. Your, your body should be able to respond and, and calm down. But for those who have traumatic experiences like this, your bodies don't shut down. And then what happens next? You go the next day and you go the next day and you go the next day. And all, the, all of a sudden, your body is constantly elevated at uh, your stress response is elevated all the time. So that makes somebody susceptible to chronic diseases. And this is why I shared with you why adults who have chronic diseases at such a younger age um, that had traumatic experiences, this is why. The, the, the best, the, the, good, the, the good news about it is, is this, Autumn, is that we can, we can change our brains. We yes. can change our brains. And it's, and it's the brain plasticity that allows us to change. So although I did go through a traumatic childhood experiences experience, it doesn't dictate. Now it makes it difficult. Don't get me wrong. My life has been difficult because of this, but I can change and I can learn to respond to stress. I can do techniques, learn techniques, change my, my brain matter. And you can do this research. Is this just a process for you, Anthony, when as you started, you know, coming back from Iraq, trying to find your footing, you know, and the ground underneath you again, trying to create that new identity, both in career and family and who you are as a man, was it a journey for you or did one, like, did something happen or was there a thought that just said, you know what, I know I was meant for more. It's worth mm. getting to the other side of this because mm. now you live your life fully alive where you want to live in a in relationship that you want to be um, mm. successfully helping other people. What was it? Was it a journey for you? Because I feel like sometimes people are on that side of it and they're like, they're just waiting for that thing to happen. You know, they just, I feel like people get, and I've been on that, on those places too, where it's just frustrating. Yes. Every day is frustrating and yes. you're seeking that information, but it's like, is it a journey? Was it a decision for you? What, what helped you get to where you are now? That's a very good question. And thank you for asking because, you know, the truth is, is that it is a journey. It is a journey, but I think what helped me more than anything is being open to different modalities. Um, I'm very open to meditation, deep breathing exercises, um, EFT. Uh, I'm very, like I mentioned before, I'm very uh, interested in the brain, um, the subconscious, uh, the subconscious mind. Um, one of my favorite all-time books is called Psycho-Cybernetics. Very interesting title, but the most incredible book that I, most incredible book that I've ever written. And it's, um, it's written by, uh, uh, it, it, well, let me start off this, this book, right? 
uh, was written in the 1960s. And this book would have been one of those books in the new age section, <laughs> right? It would have been one of those hippie books. But as we have seen over the years, over these last decades, and, and I've always, I've really been interested in personal development for quite some time. And I would love to get a hold of these old books um, that talk about personal development. And I came across this book called Psycho-Cybernetics. And it was written by a, a, um, a plastic surgeon who would do plastic surgery on people, but yet even after they were, you know, maybe someone had a big nose or big ears or something, even though he corrected it and make it, made it look normal, they still suffered. And what he, basically the book is all about your subconscious mind. And you will always, your subconscious mind always rules you. Every decision you make is based off of your subconscious mind, often off of your beliefs and your thoughts. You can't go outside of those. You can't do anything different other than that. If all you've ever known about is when you, when you're in a relationship and you're, and you're not getting what you want is to yell, you will always yell until you discover a new technique and learn how that's not going to be helpful for you. But that if that's all, you know, that's all you'll continue to do. But until you realize that, until someone realizes that there are better ways to communicate with people and, but it comes back down to, you can't change somebody else. You got to change yourself first. And so I had to take an honest look at myself because I can't, I got married at a young age and I didn't have very good examples. So I'm not going to say that I was probably the best husband that ever lived. Absolutely not. But I, but when I go and I look back at all my entire life and I look back at my father and then I look back at my life and I look back at how unhappy and unfulfilled I felt, it was because I wasn't happy with myself. And a lot of that came from as a child who didn't have any self-esteem whatsoever. You know, yes, I feel like there's so much strength and being reflective, meaning you have to actually like go look at yourself in the mirror and like reflect back to who you are instead of outside sources, but also for you to be open. I think it takes a lot of courage for, to be open because it's so much easier to hold on to what we know even if it's not working. So Absolutely. People, hold on, hold on, hold on. Instead of being open. And you said, well, of course I went to therapy. Well, like everybody does it. Not everybody does it. I think yeah. it takes courage and it takes strength to be open, to say, you know what? I'm in a place that I'm not really fond of and I'd like to be somewhere different. And just to be open to therapy, to be open to different modalities, to be open to reading books, to saying, what's next? What's new? Because for me, a lot of times, I think some of these things, just like different modalities, I'm skeptical of, but I'm hmm. open enough to where I'll tip my, like tip my yeah. little toe in it and yes. see, yeah, you know what? This does make a little bit more sense. Or you know what? Mm. The brain isn't really interesting. I'd like to dive more into that knowledge of that. And I feel like t sometimes just being open is so scary for people, but yes. on the other side, it's, it's amazing what you learn about yourself and how we interact with the world. And yes, it's that journey. It's that journey of being open. Yeah, absolutely. I, it comes down to, you know, you don't want to be wrong, right? <laughs> no one wants to be wrong. And when, and when, when, when somebody comes to that realization um, that I'm, you know, for myself, like I wasn't right. I had to, when, and this is the biggest thing when somebody's suffering from PTSD um, is that, and the reason why we think, and especially for me, I didn't feel, I felt oh, I was okay I, I, before the war. I felt like I was okay. I wasn't happy. I wasn't necessarily fulfilled, but I didn't have the, men, the mental struggle that I had when I came back home. And it's so debilitating 
Like it was so overwhelming to me. And I felt, and when I say this, it, don't, don't get me wrong when I say this, but I felt weak in the sense that it was like, look, like what do I need to do to change? What am I, you know, I felt weak because it was like, I didn't feel strong. And I felt like, like I wasn't like this before. And, and why am I feeling this way? And, and I remember one time, um, the VA has a, 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 a hotline. Like if you need to call somebody and talk to somebody, uh, it's a suicide prevention uh, hotline really. And, and I called one time I was at the, I was at the edge and I was, I lived, uh, I, I was in Oregon. My, all my family's in California. I do have friends, but as you mentioned before, you come back and everyone's different. I remember when uh, we were getting our debriefings and they, they were telling us, look, um, everyone's going to be different. You're different. Uh, your family's different. Your kids are different. Your friends are different. Uh, they've been living their life just as you have in the last 13 months. So, and there's just that acceptance that, you know, it's like, okay. But when I came back home, the thing with veterans is that it's very difficult to talk to people who have never been in a combat zone, never been in those sort of situation. And the reason, and, and so we get comfort in talking to other people who can relate because it's just that, 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 that sense that you, you're not going to be judged. But at the same time, of course, you know, oftentimes we could talk to a civilian, but there's just something deeper that you get when you talk to somebody who has actually been there and have done that. And so you could talk about the struggles. It's like, I was in, you know, I was protecting generals. And then I come back home and I have nothing. Like what's going to top protecting generals <laughs> you know i mean it's like it was a it was a secret probably mission. like doing your own <laughs> podcast and helping other yeah. men probably yeah. what it is yeah yeah like, i mean i had men and you know it's so funny that when we get wrapped around an identity where we think yes. of course protecting generals is an extremely <laughs> important job and you think well what's next well what is next a yes. whole bunch of other amazing things that you're doing that has an amazing a ripple effect in people's lives families communities but we just don't see it that way. We get attached to those identities. And, and, and instead of you holding on to what you were, you were open enough to like, okay, what can I become? Yes, absolutely. And you know, and that's right. And that's, those are the thoughts that I had when I was just getting going, you know, one so of the things that when you called that hotline, mm -hmm. what, what happened? You know, I, I still remember where I was at. I mean, I, I could put myself in that same situation where I was at my kitchen table. I probably hadn't gone outside for a week. I, and, and, and going back to that debriefing, they mentioned here, you know, they gave us a packet and in that packet had uh, the, um, the hotline and it was a, it was a magnet. And I remember putting it on. Um, by this time I went, uh, when I went to Iraq, it was 2009, 2010. So I feel like the VA kind of got, uh, some things, um, better, uh, because you know, this, the war had already been going on for six, seven years by this time. And so, um, they kind of realized, Hey, you know, we need to get some things for veterans and their help. And so this was part of that, of that result of them learning. And so I remember I had that magnet and I, I, you know, I was, I didn't really know what I was going to do. I didn't know, like, I just remember I had a lot of thoughts about my mom and I, I felt like I was going to take my life, but I, I had thoughts of my, of my mom and 
the thoughts that I had of her, of all the sacrifices she had made for me. And it was just these, these small little thoughts that I was just like, you know, I couldn't, and it was just where I was at, you know, everybody's different. Um, but it was just, I, I, I knew that I had to do, and maybe that was like my saving grace. I knew I necessarily didn't want to call her, but I called the the hotline and, 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 it, and, it, and obviously it worked. I can't remember exactly what was said and what did I say. And, and, but I just remember, um, you know, it, it, it's a process. And, but, but going back to the question you asked earlier about like, you, you know, there's something great inside of you. And I felt like I at least still had a little bit of that in me. And from then, um, you know, I can't say, oh, I started doing this, this, and this, and that. Uh, but of course, it, things didn't get easier overnight. But here's the one thing that that I think helped me out a lot. And that's when I was going to, um, uh, we talk about identity. And I remember I was going to my therapist and she mentioned, you know, what's something that you've always wanted to accomplish? I mean, what, what is it that you want to do? And for me, you know, I was 30, 30 my mid thirties by this time. And I hadn't finished my college education. And, and for me, for the long time, I'm from an area that not many people go to get higher education. And so for me, I always wanted to, to finish my college degree. And so we, we put a plan together for me to start going back to school. And so I, I didn't want to be around a lot of students. So I started off by taking online classes. And the first class that I had taken was a health and wellness class. I don't know exactly why. I think it was just part of the program. And in that class, I learned about CAM, Contemporary and Alternative Medicine. And it was that class that kind of little, a light, a small little light bulb in me to be like, okay. So long, long story short, I ended up pursuing a bachelor's degree in health promotion, health behavior, and eventually continued on for a master's in public health. I graduated with honors from my bachelor's degree, which, you know, I, t- I go back to having near zero uh, self-esteem. I hated school. I barely graduated high school. My only goal was to be able to pass the test to get me into the military. And so for me to graduate with honors, um, was a huge thing. And yes, what congratulations. It, thank you. And then what it came and then from my education and then what it came down to, and this is part of my program too. It's all about your environment. I went to Oregon state university. And for me at that time, for me, it was the most incredible environment for me. I love books. I love to read. I love education. I love it. And for me, I just flourished. I flourished and it was the most incredible thing that had ever happened to me, which allowed me to fulfill my dream of of getting my education. And then long story short, that's where I ended up working as a health educator. And then after that, I did a men's health workshop for men's health month and then getting feedback from other men looking at what they were struggling with and then looking back at going back to my whole childhood and, and how my father was just an unhappy, unfulfilled man that he unleashed. And that's what ends up happening is when, when you're not happy and taking care of yourself, you do things that are destructive to yourself, to those around you. And that's what it was with my father. And then for me, I didn't have, I wasn't happy and I wasn't, you know, I knew deep inside me that I had a lot of potential. And so 
long story short, um, I ended up looking at a lot of things that, you know, there's a lot of uh, things for men about fitness, you know, about taking care of their, you know, gaining muscles and doing these things, but there's nothing else about inspiring, encouraging men to take care of themselves mentally, physically, and to encourage men to, to say, it's okay that you need help. It's okay that you need a coach. It's okay that you need this support because I could guarantee you right now, no successful person ever has ever done everything on their own. Absolutely. They're, they're successful by the support and help of other people. And That's a great even, way to look at it because bottom line is we're just trying to become successful. It doesn't mean just money or just in our careers, just to be successful in life and, and to get unstuck or to see the light again or to be our best selves is that success. And you're right. I don't know one successful person that has ever done it on their own. So it's such a great way of looking at coaching and mentoring and, you know, reaching out to different modalities is that we all need that support and help. Yeah. And I think men are starting to become, come around and and the men that I coach, you know, they're doctors. I have doctors that are clients. I have uh, network engineers that are clients. I mean, I have very educated and successful men and, you know, it's okay. We do need help. We do need support. And um, there's nothing wrong with that. And for me, a light bulb moment went on and I, I just knew I wanted to always help people. And so for me, I, I end up um, starting my strong men coaching and my podcast, strong men podcast. And, you know, I end up meeting other men who are doing great works and helping other men and other men who have podcasts and just doing great things. And, you know, one of the things that, that I know a lot of people struggle with. And one of the things that people might be listening here right now is that they'll look at people that are already successful. Let's say there's somebody who's listening. They're like, Oh, you know, I'd like to be a professional motivational speaker. I'd love to speak or whatever. And what often happens is when somebody has that sort of ambition, they start looking at all these people. They're like, well, why are they going to go and see me? And you know, why, 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 why would they go see me? And you know, they're going to go see Tony Robbins or, Brene Brown or all these other people and what, what often, and that stops a lot of people. And I'll be honest, it stopped me. It's like, who's going to come coach with me? You know, they got, there's so many other successful coaches, but here's the thing that I like that I've learned over the years and that I'd like to share with other people who have this ambition to be coaches, to be motivational speakers, to be the net, have a business, whatever it may be is that especially for coaches, this is kind of like a message for coaches, but I think it, it's a message for a lot of people where, um, I train in a, a martial art called Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And, and just like any a lot of martial arts, there's, there's bout levels. And one of the things is, is that um, I like to think of it as, is when I was a blue belt, which is the second bout rank, you know, I had a lot of white belts coming to me and saying, hey, you know, how do you do this? How do you do that? Right. And then the same for blue belts who, who want to reach the next level are talking to those people who are above them. And what I like to think of is that I'm just a, a, I'm a purple belt. Right. I'm like the middle and I'm just helping out white belts, you know, and, and that's okay. Right. There are going to be people who are above me, you know, they're brown belts and your black belts and those people who are just like successful and have it all made and you see them all over the place. And you're like, how can I even get to them? You know, the thing is, is that there are other people who are just starting out who are just wanting to reach that first level and you're just two, two levels above them and that's okay. And that's where we start and that's where, and that's okay. But to not let those people who are extremely successful, who are doing what you're doing to not let that be a barrier for you to do what you have that you desire to do in your life. Such an important 
point, Anthony, because number one, I totally agree with you that it stops people. Like if you can't be the best, you just don't start. But I love that analogy of the belts because a lot of people won't go for coaching. If I I want to do something, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go to Tony Robbins, but I'm going to go to somebody that's like a few steps ahead of me of where I want to be because I believe it's possible. So I might not believe I can ever be Tony Robbins or Brene Brown or whatever, whatever I'm trying to accomplish in my life. You know, those people that are at the top, but what's great about it is it's the people that are a few steps ahead of us where we want to be that we can actually see it for ourselves. We can envision it for ourselves when we're working with somebody that's a few levels above us of where we want to get. It doesn't mean anybody's bad or worse or right or wrong. It's just, you know what, you've accomplished something that I'm looking to accomplish. And I see that I'm a few steps behind you. So can you help me take these few steps? And then you know what, the next, the next teacher is going to show up or the next coach or the next mentor is going to show up and say, okay, you know, I can help you take a few more steps and I can take you a few more steps. And that's what the journey is all about. So it's such a strong point that I'm glad that you brought up for people that are thinking about this. Don't, don't stop anything because you don't think you can get to the top or I would have never started. You know, know, I have failed forward a million times in different businesses and it's just taking those few steps. But I think reaching out to those people that are a few steps ahead of you or where you want to be, that's the best. It's it's so smart to do that. So um, in closing, Anthony, because I know we're um, short on time is for that person that is, is struggling right now with PTSD mm. and, or for people that are watching somebody struggle with PTSD, what is the one thing that you would tell them to do to help them get to the other side? Mm. And I know, know it's so different for everybody and everybody, yes. you know, everybody has it for different reasons, rather it's, you know, childhood trauma, rather it was a, mm-hmm. um, an incident of crime that happened against him, rather it was war, but mm-hmm. you know, in those places where you really feel alone mm-hmm. and you know, even though you know, there's other people that are suffering similar to you, it's mm-hmm. hard to connect. It's hard to connect with anybody when you're in that place. Yes. What I would say is this, is that yes, um, there is a, uh, there is a, you know, there's nothing wrong with going and getting, uh, help, you know, talking to somebody. Um, I did it. Um, it was, it was great. It was what I needed, but here, so I would encourage anybody like, yeah, there, there is a, uh, um, it's okay to go get help. It's okay to talk to somebody. It's okay to, to do that. Um, and, and to work through any issues that, um, that might've happened. But here's one thing that I know is what helped me the most. Okay. Um, and it's this. I went through therapy. I dealt with the past, but there is a point where it's enough about thinking about the past and it's about start about the uh, start working in this moment towards your future. Cause so many people will go for years and years and years. And don't get me wrong. If that's what's necessary and they feel, but for me, I was, I got tired of just the same old, same old. I got tired of talking to myself in the sense I was just, you know, saying, saying the same thing over and over and over again and, and expecting a different result. But what, what helped me more than anything is that there was, uh, for me, it got to the point where it was enough talking and then it was starting to doing, and I had to start taking action to build the kind of life that I now have. And doesn't mean that you can't be working with somebody and dealing with the past. 
um, and working with a coach or somebody and in, in working towards the future. Um, but there does come a point where, um, you know, you, you, you've got to move forward. And it's enough. And, and for me, it got to the point where it was like, okay, I'm, I'm done. I've dealt with it. I've done it. And I'm, I'm happy with it. I'm happy that, that, that all that stuff happened to me in the sense that it is, it has brought me to what I am doing today in my life and helping more men, um, fulfill, have happy and fulfilled lives and relationships and, and fulfilling careers and, and, and better health. Um, and that's okay. And I can accept that, but more than anything, yes, get the help, do what it takes. But at some point, I think it's also very important to decide, okay, enough is enough. I have the tools I have this and and can build the tools, but it's about moving forward and about creating your life because you can't create your future if you're still continuing to focus on the past. And so that's, that's what I would say. And that is what's helped me more than anything. Cause I went through seven years of therapy. Some people may say, Oh, that's not that bad. Or some people say that's, that's not enough. But for me, I, it just, it was a light bulb moment said, you know what? I'm done. <laughs> I need to start taking action. And that's why I've been able to um, create the kind of life that I'm living now. Yes. And I love that you said it's a decision because you do, you just have to decide that one day. And I feel like sometimes it's like looking at, you know, driving a car and you look so, you're looking in the rear view mirror more mm. than you're looking in the windshield. And the windshield is like full of possibility and a million different roads you can choose to go down. But we, we all, some of us have gotten stuck looking in that rear view mirror. Yes. And again, it doesn't mean you don't, you can't do the work because you need to do the work. Yes. So you trust the rear view mirror to me about doing the work is, so I trust the rear view mirror. It's important. I, I don't want to drive a car without a rear view mirror yeah. because it's dangerous, but what's nice is to know and have peace with that past somehow mm-hmm. and work through that. But the windshield is so much bigger and it's just trusting and maybe not knowing where you're going. And so sometimes it gets scary. So then your eyes go right back up to that rear view mirror. Mm-hmm. And I love that wind. I always like focus on the windshield, focus on the windshield because it is that decision. Yes. And I also want to encourage people from during the years that I served as a victim advocate and worked with tons of people with post-traumatic stress disorder. And my ex-husband coming back from um, Iraq also with PTSD is that I encourage people, if you go get help and that what that first phone call or that first meeting or that first whatever is not a good fit for you don't feel like that's the only that's the mm. only option there's so many resources there's so many mentors and coaches and therapists anthony might you might give me a phone number to your therapist and say oh my gosh this is the person that helped me and i just don't click with them it's okay mm. yes. you know we, there's there's somebody there for you there's there's the right person or the right program or the right coach or the right mentor that's there for you. So don't give up on that first, you know, first time. Cause a lot of times people try it one or two times and it's taken me in my life, many people to go through, to find the, those right teachers for me or those right, you know, that right therapist or whatever it is. So just, just be open. But also I just encourage people to keep going. And that's exactly what you did. Anthony. you just kept moving to where you found, you know, those right places for you to keep growing. Absolutely. That's, that's exactly what happened. So I um, am so thankful for you. I'm so glad that you've decided to create a life of abundance and you are helping so many people. And I'm so appreciative of who you are in the world. And so where can people find you, Anthony? Yeah, they can find me on my, on my website at strongmencoaching.com. And they can also find my podcast, Strong Men Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, 
and other, uh, those are two, two of the main ones that I have people going to, but, um, any podcast application, you know, you should be able to find it, but, uh, yeah, thank you for this opportunity. And I really appreciate the work that you're doing and getting this information out to more people. Yes. Thank you. And it is so, um, it is such a great podcast. So if you guys have not heard of it or checked it out, make sure that you stop by there and do that, um, and pass it on to others that might need, um, that are, you know, where they're at in this world right now, um, that they can find that there's a voice on the other side that is living a life because a decision was made. And so I'm so appreciative, Anthony, and sure we will connect soon. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. And I hope you enjoyed today's show. And remember, good friends don't keep great messages to themselves. So keep the ripples moving and share this episode with your friends. Also, wherever you listen to podcasts, please take a moment to review or download this episode. Also, I would love to connect with you. Regardless of where you're at on your journey, maybe you're feeling like you can't set sail or maybe you're out there rocking the open seas. Find me at autumnshields.com or on social and say hello. Also, if you would like a complimentary coaching sesh, all you have to do is click on Let's Connect and let me know three things you would like to get out of the conversation and we will make it happen. So make today the day you decide to live your life alive and leave room for the unimaginable. So until next time, keep following the nudges.